Time podcast. I'm Aaron Sorrells. And I'm Brian Atkinson. Today, our guest is Nardos Osterhart. Nardos comes to us from uh, Ethiopia, followed by Nigeria, Germany, and Oklahoma, as one does. And uh, she makes her home in beautiful Grand Rapids, Michigan, where she is the uh, hospital administrator in a local area hospital. And we are going to talk to her about the good, the bad, and the funny. Sometimes I have a hard time spending money on certain things. But I've decided that it's time for me to get real perfume. Yeah. I've been using the free samples that fall out of magazines for so long (laughs) that I accidentally rubbed a Kohl's coupon on my neck the other day. (laughs) Do you guys like the scent I'm wearing? It's called Savings (laughs) by Calvin Klein. Oh, who doesn't love a good bargain? (laughs) Nardos, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you, Nardos, for being here. We're really excited to chat with you. I'm happy to be here. Well, uh, as I said earlier, um, you uh, come to us from Ethiopia, Nigeria, Germany, Oklahoma, which, uh, you know, I did a little stock, I mean research, to um, (laughs) discover some of your uh, one-woman show called Hafrican. And um, I, if I understand it correctly, you got into stand-up comedy, and then that one I'm showing you've done your your album called Nice Try, which is available on Apple Music and Spotify, of course, uh, and that's also going out on Sirius XM Radio. We're very proud of you. Can you tell? Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but uh, you started out with a, a difficulty or a fear of public speaking, and you just said, "Well, I'm just going to become a comedian in order to get over that." Is, is that right? It's true. And I know it sounds like the biggest leap, but um, let me explain it. Please. So <laughs> um, it was probably, goodness, I want to say 2012. And I was in I was in a nurse manager position at the time. One thing that I realized um, as I was kind of moving up in leadership is that there was not just the work of like, change management and bringing in new initiatives and equipment and things like that. But there was also the, the leading that work and the presenting the cases and, and being persuasive, you know, with, with what it is, you know, your nursing teams um, are asking for that's new. And anytime I had to present, it just, it, it really made me so anxious and I would have these sleepless nights and I would prepare myself to no end. And, I would be incredibly prepared, very well researched. And the moment that it was my turn, I just, I just got so nervous, you know, and I just remember thinking, why can I not control, you know, this fear of what people are saying, how they're looking at me, the thoughts that I have in my mind about what it is that I'm communicating. And am I, am I making any sense? It, it just got the best of me and I tried so hard to avoid it, but I realized that it, if I was going to stay, you know, in my role or even try to be promoted in the future, I had to get over it. And I was talking to my boss at the time. It was my annual review. And she had um, asked me if there was anything that she could help me with. And I brought up my fear of public speaking. She said, well, I've never noticed that as a problem for you. But Mm. if you're bringing it up, then, you know, you should, you know, find a way to overcome that. And she gave me some options but they weren't realistic they were you know for example finding someone that i think is talented within the organization that that has that as a gift and and asking them about it or having them mentor me and i thought those people are several level levels above me you know and i i just can't even fathom like going up to them and asking them to fix this for me (laughs) (laughs) and um And, you know, part of that also in my mind was like, I'm already afraid of like speaking generally. I can't even imagine going to some of my heroes and asking them for their time. (laughs) And then um, then I started just exploring it on my own, just thinking, okay, if this is a goal for me, you know, by by the end of the next year or the following year, then what will I do, you know, tangibly to make a difference in that? And I started exploring just different ideas. And some of my friends knew that I was working on this. So, um, you know. Folks had suggested like the Dale Carnegie sure. method, um, Toastmasters. Toastmasters, I imagine, comes up. And... Yep, Toastmasters came up. 
um, just taking like a mass communications class, you know, at a local community college and things like that. And every time I explored those things, any of the offerings um, were during the day and I worked during the day. And I also was in grad school at the time. So my evenings were kind of inflexible. So I sat there just thinking, I don't know how I'm going to pull this off because I'm busy raising my family and I'm busy at work and nothing traditional is going to work for me. But then I remember that, you know, as fans of, of stand-up comedy, my husband and I would go to Dr. Grin's comedy club from time to time. And we love to go on the weekends, but every now and then we could only go on Thursdays and Thursdays <laughs> was open mic night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I remembered seeing these confident, you know, just kind of empowered, you know, maybe egotistical 18-year-olds, <laughs> 20-year-olds on stage um, for, you know, three to five minutes and completely unfazed. You know, nothing bothered them at all. And I thought, how did they have that in them and where did it come from? And if I could do, if I could do that for just three minutes. I, I really feel like I would, I would be in a far better place. You know, there's the idea of speaking in front of strangers, being by myself on stage. It just seemed to kind of connect in some strange way. And that's, that's where I got the idea from. Nice. I, I was listening to you describe the confident and engaging people doing stand up at an open mic. And I thought, this is a very different open mic. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it is honestly, um, those of you who are not in Grand Rapids that are listening, um, Dr. Grin's is our local professional comedy club. There are a number of places that do comedy all around the city um, and the suburbs and, and down to Kalamazoo and Battle Creek and up north and so on. There's tons of places, but that's kind of a local premier comedy club. And they do this open mic night. You get three minutes and, uh, you know, and then you're usually followed by somebody who's more professional and so on. And it's a great way to, to meet people. It's a great way to study and, and work, but you probably would have knocked out some stuff somewhere else first before bringing it there. But that's not what you did. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you just went, I'm just going to go to the professional comedy club. Right. And do Top their shelf. open mic first. Top shelf, <laughs> Brian. That's who I am. No, yeah. you know, here, it's all I knew. You know what I mean? Like locally, it was kind of the, the only kind of light bulb moment that mm -hmm. I had. And I, from there, I did some online research and found Stu McAllister, who is a brilliant, talented kind of godfather of Grand Rapids comedy. Mm -hmm. um, Your boy, the, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And he was the MC at the time, you know, the house MC at Grins. So I found his contact information. Um, and I realized that he was the person that you would book, you know, or request time through. And when I reached out, I really just expected this to go into the ether. I would never hear again from, from anyone. And, you know, just at least, you know, this question was asked and answered. And instead within, I, I would say five minutes, he responded and mm -hmm. he gave me a date and when he gave me, it, it's such a brilliant strategy. I'm sure he sees people all the time, just tentative or, you know, curious, but not willing to commit. And he makes you commit. And so when he gave me that date, it was, I think, a full, I think it was three months out because, you know, they're busy. Oh, wow. and they're, <laughs> they're sought after. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's a wait list there. And he gave me a date. It was three months out. And I remember thinking, it's happening. Like I, I can't mm -hmm. back out of this now. But one thing that I did too was respond to him and say, do you have any advice? You know, like, thank you for the time, <laughs> but what advice sure. do you have? I've never done this before in my life. Sure. And he said, practice. There's, there's no other, there's no other way to really do this other than to experience it over and over again and to get good at it. So with that, Stu gave me a list of different places that are easier to get on, you know, in the middle of the week and mm. some stage time opportunities and the book people that book those rooms. And I started reaching out to those people. So by the time I got to Grins for that fateful Thursday open mic premiere, <laughs> I had done some, I had done comedy probably four times. Um, okay. Yeah. So yeah, there you four go. Four times in three months is, you know, for somebody who's just getting started, you know, that's, especially somebody who's let me get this straight working full-time in school full-time raising your family yeah 
Oh, and you managed to squeeze in four open mics at some point before going to the professional club and doing one. It's true, but you know, <laughs> other people would probably look at that and say it's not enough, right? We know, <laughs> we know the perceptions out there as to what yeah. it takes to to really show that you're committed. But it, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. It it was the best that I could do with the time that I had, and I knew that one thing that I knew was if I go to these dive bars <laughs> that lead up to grins. <laughs> it's pretty it's a safe bet that i'll be anonymous you know what i mean i'm not going to run into anyone that i know like at 10 p.m on a sunday or or even you know school night yeah sure. but the chances of me seeing someone that i know at grins are are much higher so i yeah. would i would love to fail a few times before <laughs> yeah. before i do it in front of someone i might know well now i gotta ask uh west michigan has the reputation of um let's call it dutch bingo that everybody knows somebody. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. and, and so I'm imagining you setting yourself up like, I'm not going to know anybody. <laughs> Did you run into anybody you knew? Not those first few times, thankfully. Okay. No, these are these were real dive bars. <laughs> they still are. Yeah. They still are. They're, they're the best. Yeah. And not to say anything about the people that go to that by any means. But, mm-hmm. you know, most of my friends and family, you know, would be home by then or, you know, would be. Um, just doing other things. Um, so yeah, I, I got lucky. I did not run into anyone I knew. It's interesting, Nardos, to hear you talk about that process and how you got that date booked in uh, in stone there. And then, you know, momentum sounds like it almost took over and you started doing the open mics and, and uh, it just kind of, you just kind of took it from there, huh? I did. And, you know, I think, okay, so here's what's interesting. The the first time that I got on stage, you know, after Stu had emailed me those, those different places to go, I got on stage. I was so nervous. My, my poor husband, I was more nervous (laughs) because just the whole concept, you know, like when I pitched it to him, he just looked at me. We were both on the couch and he said, you're doing what, when, what, where where did this come from? You know? And, and he, I remember him also saying, what are you going to say? Like you have no material. And, Yet he was Yet. so <laughs> nervous. Yes, exactly. And so the night that we were going to my first, um, my first, um, you know, open mic, he went with me. It was it was Halloween, and I remember him saying, "I think I'm going to throw up for you because oh this is just too much." <laughs> and I got there, I did my time, guys. I flew through my material. It was almost sure. like memorizing a script, right, and surviving. And the experience on stage, but I got laughs and I was not expecting them. And I was thrilled. Uh And when I, when I got off stage um, and then went home, I got an email from Stu. He had been there. He was in the very far back. Nice. Yeah. And he said, Hey, um, I saw your name on this, um, you know, on the roster and I came and you did a nice job. And he said, keep doing it. And that was just the right vote of confidence. You know what I mean? It just, yeah. It it just really warmed me up and made me just feel really encouraged and um, supported, even though I never, I still hadn't met him at the time. You know, it was just the online exchanges. Sure. You know, Stu, Stu, you, you described him as kind of the the godfather of Grand Rapids comedy, and I think that's pretty accurate because I know as I was uh, getting started in comedy, I reached out to him and he and I had a lunch, uh, of course immediately before the launch, he posted on, on Facebook that if uh, he comes up missing, it's, it's this guy that did it, but, <laughs> but he was very willing to, uh, to share some insight and, and encourage the, the process. So that's cool to hear that he's played that with, uh, played that role in your journey as well. Absolutely. Yeah, he's never encouraged me. I wonder. Uh, well, and I'll tell you this, I mean, Stu is, Stu is really good at just being very direct too, because mm-hmm. there have been there have been times without knowing him well still, you know, early in the process where he'll say, "You'll you'll never work a paid gig if you keep telling those jokes." Mm-hmm. They were I, I and that was unsolicited feedback. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But there, I, there I was thinking I was doing great and loving the feedback from you know the comics in the back. But my material was really blue at the time, and I was just trying to, I think, one, fit in with the guys, and mm. 
you know, too, you kind of can't help but mirror the people around you or the voices around you, you know? So mm-hmm. if people tend to be dark, then maybe you want to be dark or that influences you and things like that. So anyways, mm-hmm. I got off stage one night and there, there he was. And, you know, I just kind of was passing him on my way to like the table that I was sitting at. And I remember him saying that to me and I was like struck because the other feedback around me was like, that was amazing. And Stu mm-hmm. was like, you'll never get paid if you keep telling those jokes. Mm-hmm. And since then, of course, you've done some paid stuff. If you guys uh, love doing stand-up comedy like I do, you have to go the distance, especially here in the Midwest. you got to be willing to drive wherever you get a job, you know? I love comedy so much, I once drove to Sault Ste. Marie for a half-hour gig. (laughs) In January. (laughs) You guys know the way. It's brutal. It's beautiful, but it's boring. I'm not embarrassed at all to admit that I drove 100 miles an hour in the final stretch just to finally get there. You know what I learned? There are no cops north of the Mackinac Bridge. (laughs) It's kind of like they're saying, hey, if you're that desperate to be here, no one's going to stop you. (laughs) (laughs) I was picturing that drive... um... I was I was in the audience that night when when you recorded your album and um I'm actually surprised I can't hear me laughing cuz I always hear me laughing and and everything but uh that 300 miles from here to there um in January oh, I I can't even imagine driving over the Mackinac Bridge in January <laughs> outrageous guys who are we yeah. are we in our professional daily caring loving lives that we will just abandon our safety <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that matters you know like our practical thinking to get to get to places like that to perform in front of sometimes just the cooks you know, <laughs> yep. it is an interesting part of our creative side that just needs to be fed from time to time. And back then I was, and I still am, you know, I try to say yes to every opportunity because I don't know what it'll lead to. And they tend to always kind of pay off in some way. You know, I I try to learn something from every experience, but seriously, don't you look back on some of this stuff and think, what did I say (laughs) I was going to do? Uh, uh, I, I find myself thinking, you know, you have, uh, the regular job. You have a career that you went to school for and you went to graduate school for. And, <laughs> and if somebody said, Hey, I need you to get in your car and drive 300 miles to, to go do your day job for just half an hour and then turn around and, and drive home. But we'll give you two drink go, tickets. <laughs> <laughs> like, Put it that way. Yeah, like, no, Could no, of course it? not. Yeah. No, I yeah. need a car. Yes, there's no. <laughs> let's make it virtual, guys. There's no. Let's let's get out yeah. of this as quickly as possible. <laughs> right. I I've been working at, at my regular job from home for the you know the last year and and change and anymore. It's it's like, hey Brian, we need you to come into the office. I'm like, I don't Whoa. think so. <laughs> I don't think so. It is, it is three miles from right? my house to the office, <laughs> and I'm I'm not sure I'm willing to go that far. And yet, if somebody said, "Hey, can you make it to Ishpeming tomorrow evening?" Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I might get seen. This is my chance. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> You never know. <laughs> oh my goodness, guys. There might be people there might be a person there. <laughs> yep. I, the headliner love... was on a television show in the nineties. It would be an honor. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Yep. <laughs> you bet. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard John Oliver talk about some of the stand up that he did in England. And um he, he did a show where there were four people in the audience all at one table mm-hmm. and they left. <laughs> and like <laughs> one oh guy left gosh. to go to the bathroom and then the other people left and there was one person still there and he's and she started to get up and he's like so that's it you're leaving yeah unbelievable oh. <laughs> yeah. unbelievable um 
And I did a I did a show where I was billed as the headline act, mm -hmm. and and it was, you know, they had a couple of people do five minutes, ten minutes, and I had a feature do twenty, and then I'm gonna go do forty five, and and there's four people sitting around the table, <laughs> and in front of me, and I I said, okay, I can either, you know, play this like it's you know a big fancy gig you know, and give them the show or, right. and so I just sat down at the table, um, with them and, uh, just pulled up a chair and, and kind of did my act like I was just talking to them. And it was really one of the more fun shows I've ever done because they, it was disarming for them. So they, I know. think that's perfect, Brian. And the <laughs> fact that you thought to do that, I really think you probably won them over and <laughs> I, I bet it was a memorable experience for them. But imagine yeah. if you just trying to play it the normal way as if, Oh, it's just, <laughs> I, well, I, a few people I got just, to watch everybody else do it first and, and watching yeah. everybody else just struggle with, you know, trying to get them to react in any way. Right. Well, um, and to me, that's, that's kind of the draw. That's why we'll drive through wintry roads for hours to, to go get that opportunity, just to have that creative problem solving, like, okay, here's, here's what I've got in my mind that it's, that's going to happen. And then when whatever else happens, we can just adjust. And, mm -hmm. and that's you're exciting. absolutely right. Yeah. I once did a gig in, in, in Gladwin, which I think was about two hours it's 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 yeah. it's up north yeah cadillac -ish and or yeah. traverse city ish kind of kind of not all the yeah. way but yes that part, yeah. i think that general area and i it was a monday it was a mm. monday and gold. I got that's there. comedy gold oh my <laughs> goodness and again you know the people that are booking it though this is the first time they've reached out to you, right? So yeah. who are you to say yeah. no? And you want them to keep reaching out to you. So I did it and I get there. The town, I, I swear it was so isolated. You would have thought that it was just like a set in Hollywood. Like there was <laughs> like the main street just felt like, you know, like people had evacuated it like hours ago. <laughs> and so I remember going in. And saying hello and greeting people. And they were so nice that, you know, the management was, was wonderful and the people working there. It was a pizza joint. And I just kept waiting for people to show up. And then they looked at me and said, you're on. And I said, but there's no one here. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, well, we paid for the show. And I was yeah. like, so just in front of your, like, the guys that are working the line. And they're like, yeah, go for it. Yeah. So I did. I did it. It was really kind of surreal they were all great sports you know and actually i think the manager agreed to like just sit at a table you know <laughs> i had somebody but at some point i just broke and i said what's going on here where is everybody and they're like it's spring break and i was like oh <laughs> so this town that's usually like a thousand people strong you know is like 300 people you know and mm. everyone's at home like retired and in bed by now so <laughs> it's interesting what you learn too about like maybe the circumstances around yeah you know they scheduled it in advance they didn't think about the fact that it was a holiday or you know the typical you know time that that few people are in town so yeah, yeah. interesting mm. I think so, I'd still take that though over a room full of people that absolutely do not want to be there or, or do not, you know, the people yeah. that are, are there for a class reunion and then all of a sudden they find out that there's a comedy show going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're absolutely right. Or when, when it's, it's in a, like a sports bar and they turn off the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If there is a football game on the screen mm. behind you, it's a, it's a lost cause. <laughs> yes. You're going to suffer through that one, but you're right. You make a really good point. It's better to have a few people that are warm and engaged than um, the not right. Like a crowd full of people that just sit there with their arms crossed and they're convinced you're not going to do well that night. That's yeah. Great. Yeah. Right. Cause you know, even, even though we don't, uh, typically comics don't like heckling or, or conversation back and forth. Really stand-up comedy is a conversation. It's just the audience's role in that conversation is laughing and their eyes getting big and expressing surprise and delight, you know? So if you take away that other half of the conversation, it really changes the, the set. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I can do this in my home just in front of the mirror <laughs> <laughs> and and get the same or, or 
more feedback. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, Nardos, if I remember correctly, uh, you have been or are a runner. I ran my first race back in March. It was the first race I'd run in 20 years. Yeah, I know. I was really excited. Um, it's held on St. Patrick's Day, so they call it the Irish Jig. Now, the night before the race, I decide I'm going to look this course up online so that I can get my bearings. It's the first time that I realize this race is in my neighborhood. <laughs> and I don't recommend that you run races in your neighborhood. Because <laughs> once you see your house, race is over. <laughs> it was a 10K. I ran a half K. <laughs> you can't fault me for coming upon this picture-perfect view of my family living its best life through the front window and going, this is the new finish line. <laughs> you know, I went ahead and wore that race shirt like a champion that day. <laughs> Cashier at the hardware store was like, how'd you do? I said, terrific. Technically, I had the best time. <laughs> Those results are unofficial, right? <laughs> it sounds like you did have the best time, <laughs> metaphorically as well as technically. Oh, my gosh. You know, um, sometimes people ask where, where the material comes from, and it's really based based on real life. And I had signed up for this, this charity. It was a fundraiser, and it's affiliated with my hospital. And, um, yeah, I didn't want to do it. But my colleagues were doing it, and I just felt like, how can I have team members <laughs> participate? Yeah, exactly. So I said, <laughs> oh, to heck with it. I'll do it. But, you know, these are the things that you plan, you don't think too much about, and then you realize, holy cow, one, I'm out of shape, and two, it was really, really cold that day. <laughs> and you didn't have Stu McAllister encouraging you. Yes. In your pre-race warm-ups and things to say, yeah, keep doing that. Exactly. You know, if you run like that, you're never going to get to the finish line. You're absolutely right. But but that's really what happened. And then I came up on my house and I was like, what am I doing this for? I already paid. You know, like they've got money. I do not. I do not. I, I, love, the, I love the line that you have in there of you look in and see your family living their best life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I think we get, it's so uh, relatable because when I hear that, I look through that mirror or that window myself and see my family living their best life, you know? So yeah. you're, you're allowing the listener to transplant themselves right into that situation with their own family. And it's just great. And just well, before that, you. I'm picturing them in lawn chairs in the front yard, cheering you on. You know, <laughs> you've got your race shirt on and yeah. they're out there yelling. And then you see it look through the front window and oh. <laughs> They, they were not out there. <laughs> oh, that's so, I, I love your, um, your exposition because I don't even think about those things as they come, you know, as they come together, but you're right. Instead, they, they didn't even come out. To right. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Are you guys going to cheer me on? Nope. <laughs> Are you kidding? Hilarious. It's mid March in West Michigan. Yeah. It's cold. <laughs> they wanted nothing to do with it. No. <laughs> The odds of it being a snowy day or an ice storm or things like that are pretty high. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Um, now, I I know just because weirdly I have um, friends out there in the world. I could just stop right there and <laughs> say that's weird. But <laughs> friends out there in the world who are, are runners. Yeah. Um, like the gazelle level runners. Yeah. And, they say, oh, yeah, you know, there's the Irish Jig and others of the local triple crown of races. Uh, so I, I got to ask, have you, is that the only race you've, I mean, you said you hadn't run in quite a while, but it was, is that a thing that you used to do or did more of or are still doing? What, where are we in the running game now? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I, I ran track in high school. I was not good. I did it for one season, but you know, mm. I just felt like I needed to do a team sport. Good. And then in college, um, I got into running just for fitness, you know, cause you, you know, it was the old, um, gaining the, 
the, that freshman 15 and I just remember finding myself just in need of something different and I remembered how good I felt when I ran so I never did it really competitively but I did get into shape in college and I did love running at one point you know it's one of those things I'm not a natural runner there are people that are just graceful at it right they look like they were born to do it and they're mm. effortless but I am winded every time um, I do it it's it's never it's never glamorous <laughs> and I never look great doing it but at one point I ran a half marathon with a good friend of mine in college and we had a blast. But since then, since I've, you know, kind of grown up a little bit and started my family and all that stuff, I hadn't really gotten into fitness aside from like working out at a gym. So I have a treadmill and things like that, but nope, you can't, you can't expect to see me at any other future races. I do <laughs> disciplines too, pretty easy. So if I run just like on, um, say on a treadmill, I'm pretty injury free but i have found that if i run on the roads or run in races those my shins end up hurting pretty badly mm. yeah i've got the the knees to show for um high school football and i was a sprinter ah uh so i have an elliptical machine so i have no impact whatsoever oh. yeah uh and it has very little impact on my fitness as it turns out <laughs> 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 I love it. Well, the time has come on our little podcast to take a break, but we'll be right back. Be sure to give us a review on Apple Podcasts so it's easier for people to find us and like us on all your podcast favorites. We'll be right back. This pandemic has been tough for everybody, including those of us who love live comedy. And while COVID-19 is still an unpleasant reality, vaccinations and your efforts have once again made it possible for us to gather together and laugh together. We had a blast at our first show back, and we are eager to continue laughing with you. Check out cleancomedytime.com to find upcoming shows or contact us to bring a Clean Comedy Time show to your local comedy club, church, corporate event, or fundraiser. We'll see you soon, and please get vaccinated. Nardos, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your comedy journey and uh, some of the ways that you've written some of those bits and things. Uh, in this podcast, we like to get a little bit deeper than just the funny. We also like to get into what is going good and what is not going so good. So, Nardos, what's uh, what's going good in your life right now? Um, I'm healthy. I am vaccinated, so that's going yeah. great. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Oh, my family's healthy. I, I, I find that it's, um, just important for me to acknowledge just the little things that you can be grateful for, you know, and I, I tend to be an optimistic person. So I just, I'm grateful for a loving husband and great kids and wonderful extended family that, you know, I am employed, you know, given the fact that this pandemic has been going on for more than a year now, a lot of people have lost their jobs or have experienced some dramatic changes, in their careers. Um, and so, you know, to that, to that end, I'm really appreciative too, that I, that I do have a job and things like that. So yeah, those can, are the things that are going say well. thank you for sticking with it because <laughs> my family doctor quit last oh my April. Gosh, really? She called it, she called it a career Yeah. and she's a little younger than I am. Mm -hmm. And that was disheartening. Wow. Uh, but so honestly, for all that you've put up with and dealt with and, and I'm sure sweat and cried over for the last year and change. And there's months ahead. Thank you so much for your service. Oh, you're so welcome. And you know, when you, when you share that about your, your physician, um, you know, retiring, it's, it's heartbreaking because I've heard the same stories, you know, um, we have nurses on our team that, you know, there's only so much resilience, you know, in a person and there's only yeah. so much that people can balance and juggle. And you think about how, um, you know, the essential worker has had to, you know, stay, stay active and productive and plugged into work, but also um, figure out ways to do, you know, daycare and, you know, school and things like that differently. I think some people really, you know, kind of hit their breaking point. So uh, you're welcome, but I, I'm just grateful that, that I still have it in me too. Well, that's, that's uh, great to hear, you know, to hear you talk about gratefulness and to hear you talk about 
taking a moment to recognize not even the little things, some really big things, your health, your, your marriage, your family, you know, to hear you take time to, to just be grateful for those things. That's, that's great. What do you attribute that gratefulness to? Um, I have a strong faith in God. I've always, you know, you know, had, had the spiritual, you know, side to my life. Um, and I think I had a pretty rough when I was a kid, you know, as an immigrant, um, as, you know, a child in a family that was moving around a lot. Um, you know, it just, I think there were moments where I really just felt like, I don't think anybody cares what's going to happen to me. Mm, and wow. working through, you know, just the pain of, you know, of growing up, you know, in poverty and, and dealing with parents, you know, and I'm not blaming anyone, but, you know, parents that are preoccupied with other things and, um, and just not having much. I think, I think there were moments in my life where I would just kind of close my eyes and say a little prayer that, you know, if, if I could find some success in my adulthood, some, some security, you know, some stability, then I would, I would just be so, it, all of this would be worth it. You know, that kind of magical thinking you have as a kid where you've just got to believe that someone loves you and that someone is God. Um, when things turn out okay, you become, I don't know, I think a person that, that holds on to the little things that go right, that those little things that go well. And, you know, incrementally I saw change and I saw improvement and I saw people caring about me that weren't related to me, you know, and I saw teachers investing in me and saying kind things and encouraging me along the way. So I think, I think you just find ways to kind of look on the, on the bright side, I think. So it's probably that it's just looking back and realizing that when people feel like certain things are bad, I, I tend to just reflect on like what really bad was for me at one point. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. It sounds like, uh, that that heart of gratitude that you have came from your faith and came from some rough times. Yeah, definitely. I, I know, like just coming from a background in in recovery, um, a lot of times people end up drawing strength from their struggles and from uh, difficult times, and that prepares them to be able to to meet each day and find the the good things in it. It makes a lot of sense. You know, I think and when you're going through those struggles, you, you can't necessarily see a way out of it. But I, I do agree with you. And I have heard other people say um, that that's kind of been their experience, too. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm proud of you for oh, going thanks. through the things that you did as, as a young woman. And as Brian mentioned, uh, you know, some of the things that we've been able to witness you doing uh, in the comedy world. Uh, it it is incredible. You're you're an inspiration to uh, to many folks. Uh, to us in particular, I won't speak for Brian, but I'm sure he'd echo me. Yeah, go ahead. That you know <laughs> that uh, you know you're you're someone who has a genuine heart, has a compassionate heart, um, and uh, you know, and always when I've seen you at shows, whether it's your show or or someone else's show, you're in the moment. And you're just experiencing it and appreciating it. Oh, it's so sweet of you to say thank you. He'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> he'll, get, he'll get all sweet and mushy and everything. Well, yeah, you're no. similar too. You're so supportive, you know, and <laughs> I will run into you at things and I'm like, why do they care about this? thing? <laughs> and you're there no less. So I, I have to say that uh, the feeling is mutual, guys. Well, I, I appreciate that. That's uh, and that's good to hear because, uh, yeah, it's. We, uh, I, I know I end up at a lot of shows and, and it is so nice to just see people in their element, especially when it's a big deal for them, you know, like, like for instance, like the Ambrosia theater, yes. James Brown jr. Yes. Man, that guy is so incredible. Isn't like, he? Just he is an amazing person. Love and him. yeah. And he, you know, he has dumped his heart into this venue and he's got this vision for it and it's it's growing and it's doing well and so many comics are able to get there and perform and um really experience what he's building there and um and I had the opportunity to go there and just sit in the back and just sit there and watch 
what's happening. And it's, it's just incredible. So I, I count it a privilege, not a chore to be able to kind of, kind of just be a fly on the wall and sit in the back of places sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, of course, there's always the flip side to that coin. Uh, Nardos, what's something that's not going so well right now for you? Um, I would say, you know, clearly stand up is kind of on hiatus, mm, right? Yeah. And so that I think is has been a struggle because, and I know everyone um, is experiencing, you know, the challenges that go with kind of your life on pause, but for me, I remember, um, when COVID, when COVID became serious and we were faced with like the reality of a shutdown, Laughest had just started. It was day two of me being on stage hosting for a national act. Mm -hmm. And I had done two shows that night and you know, the energy of that festival, it's just so uplifting and so, you know, just kind of highly charged and, and you're running into so many people that have the same, you know, kind of passion in common. And I really felt like things were kind of just firing on all, you know, four cylinders. And I was, I was in this kind of just moment where I felt like I'd hit a stride with my standup. Mm -hmm. I'd been doing it for seven years. And I remember people saying, takes 10 years to find your voice. You know, I just recorded my album and I really remember thinking that it was easier for me to find the funny on stage. It was easier for me to riff a little bit. I was more comfortable than I'd ever been. And so I really thought this is the year where things kind of change for me in terms of my voice. And I feel like it's coming together. Yeah. And then, and then the, the festival was canceled and I just remember sitting there thinking, what a shame, you know, not just for me, but for everybody. But I would say that's something I'm struggling with because having to shift and focus on healthcare and, you know, our, our, our patient population, you know, increasing and us spilling and bursting at the seams with capacity issues at the hospital, yeah. it was in some ways a relief, you know, that I was being told I can't get on stage because yeah. I... I I couldn't if I wanted, right? I was shifting my, my focus and my priorities. But after a few weeks, I still felt like I'm I'm not going to miss it because it's going to come back. And I am so busy and preoccupied with this new focus of trying to heal the sick that it doesn't even matter to me. You know, it wasn't it wasn't on my mind much. But as the months, you know, continued to drag and go by, I remember sitting there thinking, oh, well, I guess that's the end of the road for me, you know, mm. and. Well, and I, I remember you, you know, sharing that, that, you know, during this pandemic, you thought uh, you were potentially done with comedy altogether, right? Yeah, I really, I remember just thinking, well, maybe it was kind of like this this thing that really had a shelf life for me, you know, and I, I am getting older, you know, and it's not, you know, everyone will say that comedy is kind of a young man's sport. So I was lucky to have tried it and, and had, you know, my success, but I can't imagine, you know, that it's something I'll continue to do. And I did have a, a time in my life where I thought I'm not getting on stage again. Like it's just going to be too much work. And so the thing now is I really miss it. I continue to write and put things away, you know, in, in, you know, my different files and my documents online, but, um, yeah, I just don't know what it's going to look like. You can't get the stage time that you used to. And I'll say this, I don't know about you guys, but I started to replace things, Man. um, with the stage time, you know, I'm home all the time. I enjoy being with my family. I've started, I got a membership to a gym in town. I go to that gym and I work out for, for, you know, an hour. Sometimes it's social and it's, I'm there for 90 minutes, you know, like starting, you know, in the locker room and cleaning up and coming home. But you don't have that kind of time when you're trying to get to a show. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And so it's, it's also now the new challenge of how do you bring it back into your life? And are you good with 
being away three nights a week or two nights a week when you've really gotten accustomed to, you know, being around your family. So that's the other thing. Um, so, uh, you know, there will be a balance, but I think that's one thing that I've been struggling with. Yeah, that, uh, you know, I, I hear what you're saying there. Uh, and, and I relate deeply with that because yeah, I, you know, with, with clean comedy time, uh, January and February were very good months of 2020. And, mm-hmm. and what you're mm-hmm. describing coming into laugh fest and having things feeling like they were firing on all cylinders, you know, going from this, you know, potential yeah. fantasy of, Hey, I, I'm going to do mm-hmm. stand up comedy and then having it turn the corner to where, wow, this is a real thing. And then having it completely mm-hmm. stopped, that was painful. And, and I, I think it's yeah. good that I mourned that a little bit. And I think it's good that you mourn that mm-hmm. it's important to acknowledge the, the pain that, uh, that we've experienced that. And it's, it's easy to, to look at pain that other people have experienced and say, well, our pain isn't that big of a deal because they've suffered more. And what I found is pain just isn't relative. You know, how I hurt isn't increased or decreased based on how someone else is hurt. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's an individual thing and it's important to acknowledge our points of pain and, uh, and, and more, (laughs) but it's also exciting to hear you talk about recovering through that to find other things. Not that they weren't there before, because of course you're a healthy, active, athletic person and you've always spent time with your, with your family, but to have the space that used to be occupied by comedy fill up with other wonderful things and then be able to say, man, do I want to give any of this up? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, I mean, I I appreciate you connecting to the experiences that I've had in the last year because, you know, there were also times, and to your point about like the pain not being relative, I remember thinking, what are you complaining about? There there are seniors in high school that don't get to walk, you know, the stage. They're not going to graduate, you know, in the traditional way. There are there are East coast trips, you know, that like my children were looking forward to. And, um, the thought of people being on buses together and having kind of those moments of a lifetime together, there are, there are med students, you know, that don't get to start, you know, their clinicals, you know, on time. Like this is, this is halting a lot of people's dreams. And how are you complaining about stand up? (laughs) (laughs) The question is on a scale of one to 10, what's the pain level of stand up? <laughs> Isn't it smiley faces now? Not one to 10. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. It's, yes, it's, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when I was a kid, they, they took away the skull and crossbones for poison and put on Mr. Yuck. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. and I was like, you took away the pirates, the pirates <laughs> on the poison. And, and now we got to deal with the green guy. Oh, Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so glad Nardos that you are uh, back feeling comedy again and missing comedy. It's clear uh, the way you described things uh, early on in this episode, how much joy you get out of uh, bringing laughter to a room full of people, you know, and, and I'm glad that uh, from our previous conversations that that's something that you're going to continue to pursue it might look a little bit different. It might be a little different, but uh, um, I, I hope you keep helping people laugh because we all need it and you're good at it. Mm-hmm. Here, here. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And um, I, you know, look forward to, to you all continuing with your creativity too. And I think we're all going to get, we're going to get back to that, that time on stage again. It, it's certainly going to look different, but I, I think, um, yeah. There's no place to go but up. Well, we've got we've got shows that we're starting to book and, and things are, you know, we're looking ahead and having some things happen. So uh, as we get opportunities, uh, Nardos, we would always love to have you on, on any of our shows. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that, guys. So as we look forward, 
Uh, how would uh, people find out more about Nardos Osterhart and how would people get a hold of you if they wanted to book you and all that stuff? What's the best way to, uh, to find you? You can certainly, um, friend me on Facebook or just message me on Facebook. If there's something you're interested in, I do, I do love to chat with people, especially newcomers, you know, people that are, um, entering stand up and have questions about that kind of like Stu used to do with the coffee piece. Um, I, I have chatted with people back and forth online and, and answered the questions that they've had and a lot of new comics. Um, and I think specifically women feel a lot of that imposter syndrome. So you can find me on Facebook and we can chat and we can, we can book future gigs that way. You can also find me on Twitter. My handle is uh, Nardichoke. Um, on Twitter. And then it's the same on Instagram. I have a YouTube channel. I don't post a ton of content there, guys. I don't know about you, but I'm the person that um, has a great idea, posts <laughs> it, goes live for like three days and then sees that no one liked it and then pulls it. <laughs> <laughs> it's that imposter syndrome that you just uh, uh, referenced. Yes. Right? <laughs> the other thing is my girls, you know, when they were, you know, little kids, you know, when I started stand up, um, I didn't, I didn't care what they thought about, you know, <laughs> um, me doing comedy, but from time to time they will find something or a friend of theirs will find something and send it to me. And they'll be like, mom, what is this? And I don't have a problem being goofy. I think that that's important. Yeah. And, you know, at the same time it, it can, it can make them cringe. So I have to be material that features them then clearly yes yes i would love to you know i had them be part of it um in the early stages but now they're like you got to pull that we were so stupid when we were little and i'm like guys yeah back then uh -huh. over yourselves and there is my album nice try so you mm -hmm. can find that on spotify and you can find it um also on apple music so and and, and where else can we hear tracks from that uh, album Hey, a couple of tracks. I submitted my entire album to SiriusXM for consideration, and they got back to me and said that they would take two out of the tracks, two out of the, um, you know, album's tracks. And yeah, it's going to be played. Those tracks are going to be played on four different um, streaming, you know, stations of theirs. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, like yeah. Laugh USA and Kevin Hart's. Um, yes, LOL Network, yep, yep. I think. Uh -huh. Cool, cool. Very nice, very yeah. nice. Uh, every time I see that you uh, are doing something like that, uh, I just feel an enormous sense of pride for you. We are so delighted to have you be part of uh, Clean Comedy Time, a show in the past, and on the Clean Comedy Time podcast today. It's been wonderful talking to you. For sure. Well, thank you so much, guys. I always enjoy uh, the chance to connect, and I have loved talking to you, too. Thanks for listening to the Clean Comedy Time podcast. We bring comedians together performing their clean material at showcases, fundraisers, and other events. Our shows are free from course language and topics. They work for anyone, anywhere. Check out cleancomedytime.com to find an upcoming show or to bring Clean Comedy Time to you. 